Welcome to Restart Radio, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny, shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronics repair events here in London are just the beginning. My name is Ugo Vallauri from the Restart Project, and I'm joined today by Rob Kerr, founder of Lovephone, a repair business here in London. Hi, Ugo. Welcome, Rob. So today we are going to talk about uh, some news stories that emerged this summer uh, in recent weeks about interesting developments in mobile phone repairs. And then we'll be talking a lot more uh, about you and the business that you're working on and uh, how you see the future of mobile repair happening and the challenges and opportunities that you see coming. Sounds good. So in uh, back in August, uh, we came across a news story uh, that we saved for the first show of the season today because it was quite compelling and scary at the same time. So it's a story by Ars Technica, uh, which uh, tells a story about how a researcher was able to prove that it's possible to install a tiny chip in a fake replacement screen of a mobile phone, which could maliciously uh, take over your phone and uh, uh, gain access to your passwords and basically hack the device and that it would be quite cheap to manufacture that. And uh, uh, while obviously this is just a research project, it shows that the potential is there for uh, parts that are not official or from reliable uh, suppliers to be used in repairs and this potentially being a problematic issue. So as an independent repair business, what do you make of this kind of trend or possibility? Yeah, it was an interesting uh, project the guy undertook. Uh, it is worrying as well, uh, but uh, there are software exploits and hardware exploits, so you, there are multiple ways of getting at the device. But from my point of view, it just um, it lends more credence to the fact that uh, manufacturers should provide official parts to the entire industry and not just to them uh, and, and various repair depots. Um, that said, uh, the third-party repair industry is huge. It's 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 a billion, uh, it's a billion, multiple billion-dollar supply chain in China, and um, yeah, the suppliers that we use are trusted, have been used over years. So for us, it's not a huge concern, but there are, um, yeah, it, it does lend credence to the fact that I think generally there should be a much richer uh, ecosystem of parts and official parts available, and manufacturers should really start opening things up. And. Obviously, this was a test uh, and it kind of to make the point and no such thing that we know of is in manufacture today in wide manufacturing. But one effect that this has had, and I was following the news after this happened, um, a major newspaper in Italy reported this news to show immediately how repairing your phone could be dangerous and lead to you being hacked, which kind of moves the conversation back to, you know, we should only go to manufacturers, uh, back to manufacturers, and you shouldn't mess with your phone just doing things your own or going to an independent repair shop, which is 
obviously bad news, bad reporting, uh, but you know it raises this echo chambers of uh, fake news around repair that make people feel uh, a bit strangely about doing the right thing, which is actually repairing and extending the life of their phone. No, exactly. And I think if uh, if manufacturers want to scaremonger. Um, and they, or they genuinely feel that uh, you know using uh, third-party uh, repairers or third-party uh, parts is a massive security rich risk, then they should really open up the system because they cannot handle the level of repairs and the level of demand that's out there. That's why repair in the UK is a six hundred million dollar industry, million pound industry. It's worth over a billion in the US. Um, imagine if everybody who had a broken screen had to go to the Apple store. Uh, I think there'd be queues probably a mile long. It's like having it's like owning a Volkswagen and only being able to get a service at a Volkswagen dealership. It's just not practical. Uh, Definitely. And that uh, reminds me that uh, we obviously didn't mention per se that today is the big Apple day because we don't focus, as I said at the beginning, on the new shiny, shiny things. However, uh, in mobile phone worlds, uh, today is the day where everyone listens in to Apple announcing whatever they're going to do with their new version of the phone. Is the launch of a new product uh, like it will happen today a big concern to you as a, as a business? Like, um, I'm sure there's quite a few third-party repair companies uh, around across the world that are yeah, a little bit tentative about new, new, new uh, iterations of devices, mainly because it could be that you know, if Apple, for example, or any manufacturer paired the screen with the logic board, um, and, to say, and so, for example, you could only ever get um, uh, you could only ever get the screen repaired at an official Apple shop or an official manufacturer shop. That could kill the repair industry. But the reality is, um, you know, we're about servicing people who've got you know two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, sometimes five-year-old devices. We want to keep them going. And manufacturers uh, are all about trying to sell new stuff. We're about trying to kind of support. Um, the growing legion of people who pay 700 pounds for a phone, 500 pounds for a phone, and don't actually want to get rid of it after a year or two years. So by the time you know, 18 months, two years rolls around, there are um, really good quality uh, third-party parts available. The prices come down significantly. Um, the phones, even if the original screens have been scratched and weakened, um, so there's always going to be a level of uh, breakage that's going to happen. So there will always be a, a place for people, for, for, for the third-party repair industry to support um, yeah, you know, those devices keep them going longer and longer, much to the chagrin of manufacturers. A third uh, bit of news for today is uh, everyone in London uh, who takes regularly the tube or that uses um, uh, free newspapers uh, might have seen, might have come across an ad uh, from O2, I believe, that promises for new contracts of some phones uh, a free repair included. And the reason I'm mentioning this is twofold. On the one hand, uh, we found out, uh, reading a bit more the details, that this is only really offered for such top-end contracts that are incredibly expensive. Probably they already include the costs of multiple screen repairs factored in in that contract. So it's kind of a gimmick, in a sense, to, to promote that level of... Uh, extra uh, support where you're actually paying for it. But do you see this alongside the conversation about manufacturers trying to service themselves phones or not providing parts for people like you and Love Phone? Do you see this as being 
a threat to your ability to continue to operate when more and more companies are trying to retain control of the phones that they distribute or manufacture? No, we don't really see it as a threat. Um, as I said, we sort of tend to service uh, the market for slightly older phones um, that, need, that need maintenance and repair. But what's interesting about O2 is that their offer only relates to very strange sort of phones like the S8. Well, not strange, but uh, phones that have that have parts that are extremely hard to source. So the S8, uh, the I think the OnePlus 5, um, and, and a number of different ones. So it's... It's an interesting offer. Like you say, it's, it's an exorbitantly priced one. Uh, there's lots of kind of catches in there. Um, but I do think um, if somebody asks me what a phone to recommend, I usually say if you're going to buy a Samsung, it's a lovely phone, but don't break it because getting the screen replaced on that is cost an absolute fortune. Um, so I think uh, the, uh, part of the reason for that offering is that it's, there's probably a roadblock in offering these phones, people knowing that at some point they may have accidental damage to the device and it's going to cost them potentially half the cost of the device to get it repaired. So I think there's an element of trying to overcome an, a buying obstacle in this offer as well. Very interesting. And we have seen that uh, for some of these phones, when you do need a screen repair, the cost is just incredibly high. So uh, for some of the Samsung ones, I believe, particularly the curved screen ones, the, the more recent ones, the price just seems incredibly high. Do you, do you have any hint at why that is the case? Yeah, I really don't understand what Samsung's strategy is. They, they've introduced the Edge, which is a, a curved um, OLED screen. Um, apparently, the yield rates are, the, the, the reject rates in manufacturing those screens is exceptionally high. So they actually, even just sourcing parts is extremely hard, uh, even for Samsung. I've heard of people having, we've had customers come into our shop and told they've been quoted three months to get a screen repair for Samsung. And this is from the official Samsung repair shop in Oxford Street. Three months basically means please buy another one. Essentially. And maybe if you're lucky, you'll be uh, repaired the previous one as well. Yeah. So do you think that there is, at a time when people use the expression planned obsolescence with a lot of liberty, mean, meaning a lot of things, do you think that the way that manufacturers end up pricing uh, spare parts when they do provide them and repair services when they do provide them is actually an incentive for people to actually buy uh, a new phone rather than repairing it? I'm of two minds. Um, I, that could be the case, which I think would be quite a little bit evil. <laughs> but I also think that a lot of the designers of these phones just don't think about um, the downstream implications of, of what happens if somebody breaks this. And repair is such an afterthought, especially to manufacturers like Samsung and others that, you know, they, they build these phones that are designed to look super sexy. And, and again, yeah, designed to sort of sell and sell and sell. But the reality is if you, if you pay 700 quid or 600 quid for a device, you're going to want to keep that for a number of years and pass it on as well. And if... If in you know I buy the phone and six months later I break it and I have to shell out three hundred quid, that's that's, that's going to really damage I think the brand experience. And I think Apple have cottoned onto this, which is why they've actually built they're building much more repairable devices. Um, but I think other manufacturers are are behind on that front. We've seen at some of our restart party community pop up events uh, that people, when seeing the price quoted as they were looking for a replacement part after attending the event and asking for advice, they were immediately shocked and started thinking, well, how else I could access another phone, perhaps, rather than spending so much for uh, screen replacement. So I think there is a risk that when the prices 
higher than a certain number, uh, people start thinking about uh, other ways to yeah. To go I, th- about I it. think it's a crime. I, th- I think the government should enforce. Um, yeah, the, the the provision of, of genuine parts and and uh, repairability um, indexes as well. They should make they should say if you design something, it should be repairable and have a much longer lifespan. They're, they're starting to do that with white goods, um, but they've yet to do it with mobile devices. And you know, sorry. And it it's interesting because as we were starting the show, uh, Rob, I, I asked him whether my phone actually might have a spare battery available that I could buy. And it's not a very old phone. It might be approximately two-year-old phone that I got secondhand and the battery is starting to degrade, which is quite normal. And it's a phone by Google. And and Rob, you, you're saying that it's very hard to get good quality spares for that type of phone. Um, well, we, we, we definitely, so we, we can find good quality screen replacements for, for the Google Pixel and, and others, but it, it is strange. Batteries are a tricky one. So we actually get all our batteries from the U.S., uh, which is strangely enough. They, they, they originally come from China, but we buy them from uh, a company called iFixit in the U.S. who have the best third quality, third-party batteries on the market. But it's, it's a bit ironic that we have to source them <laughs> from China via the U.S. But, yeah, there's, there's, the supply chain for batteries is, is, a, is a tricky one. And so that means that... A manufacturer today, in 2017, a manufacturer of phones can put out on the market any phones they want, but they're not uh, in any way forced to make a spare battery available. And that includes people like Google. So in a sense, I find this quite frustrating because, you know, we've been talking about all these issues, the importance of repairability for a very long time, and it's common sense to us and probably to most of the people that listen to this radio show. However, this is still not the case and it is still possible to put on the market devices that, but without caring directly about their maintenance beyond the warranty terms. Absolutely. I mean, you wouldn't get away with that in the automotive industry, um, but the you know, manufacturers are getting away with it in consumer electronics. And if you think about phones, they've, they've already consumed probably 50 to 60% of the consumer electronics market in terms of cameras and all, the, all these things are replacing. But there's just this giant mountain of e-waste because manufacturers won't support with third-party parts. You're listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM. We're here with Rob Kerr, founder of Lovephone, uh, a repair business uh, which we've been following uh, for a long time. Uh, back in the day, you supported us uh, with one no longer functioning iPhone that we could use to train people in learning how to take them apart. And we've been following you to you ever since. You've been attending some of our events. And you as an organization have evolved over time. I think it's quite interesting how you started from repair, but you're actually innovating in other directions as well. Uh, what's what's happening uh, to Love Phone these days? Yeah, so we're in sort of the process of expanding both our kind of product offering and in our kind of geographic coverage. Um, one clear area we're moving into is the not only the repair of devices, but the refurbishment of, of devices and resale of these devices. So a lot of our customers have been asking to either sell us their phones or if they could buy a, a refurbished phone for their child or their partner, or, or just want to have a sim-only con- sim- yeah, sim deal. 
Um, so we sort of moved into that area, and it's proven, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really taken off. There's a lot of demand for refurbished uh, mobile devices. So does that mean that you're able to take a screen, uh, sorry, a device that is very beat up and potentially broken and that someone no longer wanted and turn it into something that looks good enough or in some cases very good to be sold again? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at the moment, we only focus on, on iPhone, but uh, we're, we're going to expand that. But yeah, we essentially buy, we, we source from our customers. We also buy from operators uh, within, through trading programs. And yeah, we provide, we, we basically can refurbish these devices to a good state, which are cosmetically you know, slightly obviously obvious signs of use, or to a very sort of pristine place where we literally refurbish it from the ground up. So new housing, new screen, new battery, and essentially you have a phone that might be three years old, but looks brand new. Excellent. And uh, from the perspective of uh, your your clientele, are you finding that this at times uh, conflicts with providing a repair service or these are like two separate streams in a sense? Are you, are they like some people choosing not to repair, but rather to go for a refurbished device instead? Um, I think in some instances, some people are choosing not to get a repair, but instead to sell us a device. Um, and in some cases, they will sell us a device and buy a refurbished device. Or, but typically, yeah, no, it doesn't really impact negatively one aspect or the other. They're kind of two clear streams. But um, sometimes, you know, the cost of a repair might be um, more than they're looking to. A lot, of people, a lot of times people come to a repair device that's had a broken screen for six months in order to sell it. So sometimes it's just easier to sort of sell it uh, to, to us, for example, um, and avoid the whole process of, of selling it on eBay or whatever. So, yeah, I wouldn't say it has a, ma a massive effect. They're definitely complementary areas. And you've also been innovating on the practice of uh, repairing the phones. Uh, so previously you had to import screens from China, I imagine. Mm -hmm. and, but currently you're doing something a lot more elaborate and yet a lot simpler from an under perspective. Can you tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, I mean, a screen housing assembly, which is you know a big portion of our business, is essentially three parts. It's the kind of the, the frame, the glass, and a digitizer, um, LCD underneath. So what we're doing is refurbishing. If you've broken your screen in the past, which I'm sure many of us have, you'll notice that oftentimes it's eight out of ten times it's still working, uh, just as the glass is broken. So what we do is we work with a partner to basically refurbish the screen assembly. So the glass is carefully removed. Um, and basically a new frame and new glass is applied and, and, a, and a new housing. And that basically provides a, a screen that is as good as, a, as, as an Apple um, quality screen, but effectively at, uh, at a much um, more cost-effective price. And that also means, you know, at a time when people like to talk about circular economy and preventing anything from going into waste, uh, understandably, that means that Almost no waste is generated through that process, just probably the layer of glass. Absolutely, yeah. So we so you're absolutely right. Even even the um, sort of housings that are discarded are actually bought from by China uh, to reuse the, the small parts and uh, that filters back through. So it's actually refurbishing is actually a very sound environmental sort of circular economy type practice actually. And and do you do you think this is becoming mainstream across the the market in in the uk is it just that most people don't talk about these things while you are actually sharing a bit more about how your 
business operates or it's just a few businesses that refurbish screens? Well, the majority of, of third-party screens out there are, are refurbished. I mean, ch the Chinese have been refurbishing pretty much since a few years after the introduction of the iPhone, just because the LCD technology um, is quite advanced. And um, now you have generic, so Tianma and other kind of manufacturers that are creating new LCDs uh, or generic LCDs. Um, we don't feel these are equivalent to the quality of, for example, in the case of Apple. Uh, so we tend to go down the refurbishment as, as the best quality generic part. But so there's now a mix of refurbishing and, and new LCDs that are being produced. But it's been happening for years. Um, our focus is really to kind of to to bring that practice and use partners in the UK who are very very effective at doing it. Um, so essentially, this happens all within uh, yeah. the very local area. Absolutely, yeah. So we're sort of supporting local jobs and keeping that keeping that money inside the UK, which is uh, yeah, uh, definitely. Speaking of jobs, it looks as if uh, more uh, pop-up and not just pop-up repair uh, businesses are <clears throat> opening across places like London all of the time. So there seems to be like an increase in in this sector, and you see a lot more uh, billboards and other ads in all kinds of publications about super fast repairs. What what is the limit uh, for all of this? Uh, are you able to find a sufficient workforce to, to power up all these new developments? Well, it's, it's interesting. If you look at uh, Carphone Warehouse, they had a big drop in their share price recently, mainly because people are actually keeping their phones for longer. Um, and that only really supports the third-party repair industry. So the, the demand is huge for repairs and keeping these devices going. I mean, they're essentially, you know, people are no longer buying computers. These are powerful sort of handheld computers that are always being dropped and thrown around. So there's huge demand. Um, the industry is going to continue to grow. But it, with respect to sort of us, we're, we are having some issues in terms of employing, finding um, new staff. And I think that's mainly due potentially to the effect of Brexit. Uh, we're finding qualified, good sort of skilled expertise um, for for you know, for very competitive salaries is proving more difficult these days. Are you saying that um, a lot of the people with such skills would have normally come from abroad, from across Europe? Yeah, so we we hire you know uh, we've got people from obviously I'm Canadian, but we've got a whole range of nationalities: British, uh, Romanian, um, Italian, Spanish in our, in our company. So, but a lot of the a lot of uh, Europeans were coming from um, we're basically supporting coming with you know, really solid repair skills. Um, and that that uh, that resource seems to be diminishing. I think a lot of a lot of um, Europeans are now looking at the UK rather more skeptically, or potentially with a bit more uncertainty as to what what the future is going to be with respect to sort of settling down or or staying in this country. Are you seeing a drop in the applications? Yeah, a massive drop in applications, and that's true across our suppliers as well. They've all noticed that there's been a massive drop in uh, in applications for skilled repairs. So that means that if people have good skills, people out there, actually, there are jobs waiting for uh, in the repair industry. Yes, please apply. <laughs> okay, well, that's very good news. <laughs> and you're also, uh, part of the reason that you're looking at uh, new jobs is you you have another interesting experiment going on uh, that has to do with phone boxes. Tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, so um, I was in a corporate environment one day, and there was a red phone box that was being used for Skype calls. And I went in there to just to try it out, and was amazed at how spacious it was, even though it's one square meter. So from there, I went and found out if anyone was kind of offering these on a commercial basis. And there was a, a company called Red Kias that was offering them. So very soon, we had a, a prototype going in Greenwich where we took a red phone box, kind of the old, the classic K6 red phone boxes, which are actually grade two listed structures. Um, we refurbished it, took out the insides, and put in a, a, essentially a, a pod, which had a, 
internet, CCTV, uh, storage, power, uh, hot air gun, you, know, you name it, and put a, put a technician, a relatively slender technician inside, and uh, gave it a go. And uh, yeah, it's, it's worked really well. A lot of people are quite happy to see those uh, essentially design icons, which were kind of sort of sitting there unused and heavily vandalized, sort of put back into use. And we sort of provide free charging as well. So it's, a, it's got an element of public use to it as well. And we're now busy sort of expanding those, those sites across the UK. Excellent. Um, what do you see as the main challenge uh, for the sector? Uh, we mentioned at the beginning of the show uh, that manufacturers might try to retain a bit more control of products and at times spare parts seem to be a real issue that uh, requires a lot of research. Do you see other changes happening that are potentially problematic? Yeah, I think the big problem is just design. You get manufacturers making phones that are just terribly designed. They're unrepairable. You know, they're full of adhesive. They've got glass in the front, glass in the back. You can only get through them with a, a Ginsu, basically. So um, really, I think the big problem is design. Yeah, manufacturers should environmentally and from a circular economy point of view build stuff so that it's repairable and can last longer. I don't think it really will impact their bottom line because people there will always be a cohort of people that want to buy the new stuff. And there's always be, will always be a cohort of people who want to buy sort of used, good quality stuff that can be refurbished and, and brought into a, into a you know, good state. So that, I think, is the huge challenge, design awareness on the part of manufacturers. And what do you see as the main opportunity for uh, s small and medium-sized businesses like yours uh, in, in regards to this market? I think, you know, repair used to be a noble industry, and I think manufacturers have turned it into a grubby kind of dirty word, especially Apple. Um, but the fact is, you know, repair has always been um, and should be uh, an industry that um, is environmentally sound, employs people locally, keeps stuff out of landfill. Um, so I think the future really is having um, a new generation of repair shops um, that offer really good customer service, good warranties, uh, good quality parts, and stand behind their service. I think if you do that and you repair and refurbish devices, um, yeah, there's definitely a market for a large market to, to opportunity to attack. Brilliant. And if you had one word of advice for anyone with a mobile gadget, uh, aside from don't break it, what would that be? <laughs> I would just say, well, obviously this is this is probably my own bias, but I would say, yeah, think about the repairability of that gadget. You know, you're you're buying a device that's going to last you for maybe a couple of years, but you know, you'll probably hand that down. You may want to resell it, and uh, while it might be cheap to buy up front, um, you know, you, you really want to avoid stuff just going straight into landfill. So look look at the repairability of that device. Um, and iFixit is a great company for, for actually providing those kind of scores. Great. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Rob. And uh, so before we close, I wanted to make an announcement. Uh, we've been busy this summer uh, at the Research Project preparing for a large event uh, that will be taking place at the beginning of October. It's the first FixFest, the Gathering for the Community Repair World. It will be here in London at the London School of Economics uh, from Friday, the 6th of October at 6 p.m. And you can find a lot more information about it and get your ticket at fixfest.therestartproject.org. There will be more information and uh, about the event in coming weeks, but you can find the schedule and how to get involved if you're interested on the website. 
upcoming events. Uh, we have a restart party this weekend in Leiterston at the St. Job the Baptist Church uh, from 11 a.m. And more information on this and other upcoming events on our website, therestartproject.org. And you can follow us and get in touch on social media at Restart Project, uh, both on Twitter and Facebook. And see you next week. Thanks. Thank <laughs> you.